Hello and welcome to Accessible Theology. My name is Aaron and I'm here with Michael. And our goal is to make the study of God's word accessible to our listeners so that we and you would better love God, know truth, and live accordingly. Hello and welcome to another episode of Accessible Theology. This is uh, coming to you with a minor prophet major message, and our prophet for this episode is Joel. So we are going to be looking at the prophet Joel, uh, and we're going to ask our three usual questions. But before we do that, just want to give, again, just a brief um, overview uh, and some background information to the book of Joel as a whole. And I'll start with just simply by saying um, Joel means Yahweh is God. And that's about all we know about the prophet Joel. Uh, and he's writing sometime in the middle 6th to ninth centuries, somewhere in there, most likely after um, the exile, 586 some would say uh, Calvin says that we can't know with certainty. So if Calvin says we can't know with certainty, then we can't know with certainty. I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, But what we do know is that he is writing to the Southern kingdom and that is Judah. So Joel is prophesying to Judah uh, and we would have had to because after the exile, that's all that's left. Well, hey, then <laughs> we're just making accessible what is not exactly clear to everyone all the time. But just want to mention that just to be sure that we know. Uh, if you're reading through the book of Joel, you will notice at least five times the phrase, the day of the Lord. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind, uh, something that is important throughout the book of Joel. And we also did just want to mention... Um, about the, uh, I mean, there's there's obviously judgment that's coming in this, but one of the things that we see specifically is a judgment of locusts. Mm-hmm. And that judgment is, uh, it was something that actually took place. It was actually happening. Uh, and it was a temporal foretaste of the judgment of Yahweh to come. And so this is what Joel is prophesying about to the southern kingdom. Uh, So that's some background information about Joel. Uh, Michael is going to be reading some specific verses uh, from Joel, and I'm going to be looking at some of their New Testament um, counterparts. Counterparts, yeah. Yeah, thank you. I couldn't think of the right word. But uh, as per usual, we have three questions that are going to guide our discussion. And so first, we look at the creedal connection. uh, And this question just simply asks, how does the message of this book align with Israel's creedal statement? So again, Michael, maybe you could just briefly remind us of what the creedal statement is, and then tell us how uh, the prophet Joel uh, connects to that statement. Yeah, well, Joel is really easy to connect with it. I'm actually just going to read what Joel says, and I'll <laughs> and I'll point out what's not there to bring out uh, the connection uh, even better. So, in Joel chapter two, verses twelve through fourteen, we see an explicit uh, creedal connection. Uh, Joel writes this: "Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments, and return." Uh, to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. 
Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. So the connection here is at first very explicit. Uh, if you remember the creedal statement of Israel is from Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. We see verse 6 is explicitly reinforced here with the refrain of um him being of the Lord Yahweh being gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But then what's in verse seven, which talks about him by no means clearing the guilty, but forgiving and, and forgiving to the, we see to the thousandth generation, while he will only judge to the third and fourth generation. We see this is all encapsulated in the phrase, relenting over disaster. And we'll get into this more when we get to the Jonah and some mm -hmm, other books. This mm -hmm. phrase of relenting is regularly used by the minor prophets specifically yeah. as what we call shorthand for verse 7. So it's not as though the, the prophets are changing God's words or they're mismanaging or anything. In fact, they're they're just capturing in a shorthand. Um, it's almost like, um, yeah, it's, it's shorthand so that the people of Israel had a quicker refrain in their mind um, to bring to, to mind. And what's fascinating when we see this connection is we see the conditionality of the covenant that is made uh, between Yahweh and Israel, but specifically we see the mercy of God bound up in this. It's amazing that he says that he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. In other words, though God will by no means clear the guilty, though there is certain judgment for those who continue in their sin, there's this unbelievable connection we see that's brought out when he says, who knows whether he will not turn and relent if repentance mm. is had, if if yeah. Israel will not just do the externals and rend their garments, but instead right. from their hearts return to Yahweh with true confession, with true repentance. You know, as other texts, including um, Hosea, the last book we looked at, makes reference of that Yahweh doesn't just desire uh, sacrifices. He desires obedience. He desires mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. true heart contrition and true love. And so what we see here in Joel is this reminder that he doesn't just want you to tear the garments and put on an external show. He wants your heart. And yeah. if you return and repent and turn to Yahweh uh, with true heart contrition, we are told, who knows, whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing. And what we see here is the mercy and the lavish love of God, that yeah. he is abounding in this steadfast love and that those who repent uh, will receive uh, in the form of relenting. What we see here is God's mercy and grace instead of the disaster that is deserved. And we're going to see this. We're going to, of course, tease this out more when we get to the Christological culmination and other things. But just to make this creedal connection, Joel is explicit. We said before how the minor prophets in many ways are a running commentary on this creedal statement, and we right. see it explicitly referenced here with this hint of God's graciousness. You know, Aaron rightly mentioned that this book, Joel, has a lot of reference to the day of the Lord, which is a day of judgment, which we believe Jesus inaugurated um, and when he came into the world. And yet, the, we see that God's glory, as, uh, as Jim Hamilton says well, is, <laughs> is seen in salvation through judgment. In other yeah. words, it's not just judgment but that there is a remnant that is always preserved by God in that judgment. And we're going to see this explicitly in our closing discussion in point three in this chapter. So I'm going to save it till then. Yeah. But I just want to bring that out that Yahweh is a merciful God, abounding in steadfast love. So what we see from this is if you turn and repent, God will relent and forgive you. 
And uh, instead of receiving the disaster you are due, you receive the mercy and grace of God. And what a what a wonderful message this is. This is mm-hmm. a major message from a minor prophet. You could <laughs> say. Look at that right there. That's another connection. We're not even going to charge extra for that one. But uh, so so this creedal connection is very important for us to remember. It's something that would have been probably much more clear to the original audience because they would have. Um, I'm sure had portions of, of the Old Testament memorized. And, and by this creedal connection, what we hope to show is the nature and character of God. The consistency, too. That yeah, this is the same God that revealed himself to Moses yeah. is still offering this yeah. to the people of Israel despite their waywardness. Right. You're you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years into their, right. their obstinacy yeah. and refusal of him, and yet he's still the same God Absolutely. to them. So that then should lead us to our next question of the uh, canonical cohesion that we see uh, in the book of Joel, but also within the whole canon, which is all of scripture. Mm-hmm. So where do we see this book quoted or fulfilled in the New Testament? Yeah, Joel's easy, man. Joel's like <laughs> the easiest book to connect. It's, just, it's explicit. Yeah. Uh, it's mentioned. So we're going to we're gonna read. Uh, I'm going to start with Joel 2, verses 28 and 29, and then Aaron's going to pick up where it's explicitly brought into yeah. uh, the book of Acts. But let me read chapter 2, uh, verses 28 and 29, uh, where Joel writes, And it shall come to pass afterward, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So Aaron, if you want to pick up where uh, Peter preaches the first Christian sermon, we could yeah. say um, in terms of after Christ's resurrection, we have the first sermon. Uh, we have a massive altar call uh, <laughs> and uh, we see people being saved. But if you want to connect Acts 2 with this, that'd be helpful. So in Acts chapter 2, um, I just want to set the context to to give you a little bit more understanding of what's what's exactly going on when then Peter goes and quotes almost word for word. Uh, what Michael just read. So in in Acts chapter two, verses one through four, uh, we read, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. And so then in in the midst of all of this, when we come down to, to verse 14, Peter uh, stands up and he starts preaching. And, and then he comes to verse uh, verses 15, 16, and following all the way down through verse 21 of Acts chapter 2. He's quoting almost word for word as um, the fulfillment of what Joel was prophesying uh, of sons and daughters prophesying, young men seeing visions, old men dreaming dreams. And he is saying that what Joel was looking forward to, we are experiencing and they were experiencing uh, then and there as the fulfillment uh, of that. Uh, And so that was the day of Pentecost, and it is when the Holy Spirit came and uh, dwelled in believers. And mm-hmm. So that is that is a pretty, again, as Michael said, a pretty easy canonical cohesion where it's quoted and fulfilled in the New Testament. Yeah, you know, if you have a pastor who's worth listening to, he's going to read a text of Scripture and then explain that text of Scripture and the main point. It's exactly what Peter's doing. In the, this, this, now, he's doing it as an inspired apostle at the same time, mm-hmm, so there's mm-hmm. added levels. But what we see is him giving a text, 
and then bringing out the implications of that text, which what he makes explicit is that Joel 2 and and this promise of the future to come in which the Spirit is poured out and there's prophecy and there's dreams. This is happening at Pentecost, so we're Mm -hmm. already in those days. And what's interesting to note is that while in Joel chapter 2, verse 29, we see, in those days I'll pour my Spirit, Peter says, in the last days. And that's a significant canonical connection we need to make is that when we get to the New Testament, those days are no longer those in the future, they're right now. In other words, since Jesus Christ has uh, died and uh, risen back to life and ascended, we as his church are in the last days now, and we are we are living in fulfillment of these promises. So we're not looking ahead anymore as, as Joel was mm-hmm. when he was writing them. Mm-hmm. We, are, we are living proof of the fulfillment of these words. So the canonical connection is that we are connected. This is us. We are the people that this is speaking of. And in Acts 2, it seems to be suggesting, too, there seems to be a connection showing that uh, if you remember the Tower of Babel and you have the confusing of languages, well, when you get to Acts 2, it's the languages are actually being unconfused so that yeah, the truth yeah. of the gospel could be understood. So there's almost a reversal of the Babel uh, curse going on in which God's people are able to hear. Now, another thing that needs to be mentioned, too, with Acts 2 is you see judgment connected with that, too, because there are people who are mocking the apostles, who think they're drunk, mm-hmm, who can't believe mm-hmm. that they are speaking the way that they are, while others are amazed that they're hearing the words of God. So you see salvation through both judgment um, and, and uh, the grace of God also being extended to some who are a remnant and actually would hear the word of God and respond in faith. Faith, And we know that those are 3,000 in number that day who respond favorably to the message. Uh, because as Acts 2, I believe it's 39, says that it's for all who would call on the name of the Lord, both the children and, and those who are far away. So that we see this development then through the rest of the book of Acts, that it's not just the Jews who hear this, but by the time you get to Acts 10, the Spirit is poured out and tons are being spoken with the Gentiles, with the person of Cornelius. And then in Acts 19, we see even more of this with the disciples of John the Baptist. And what we see is this progression where the gospel is now going out to the nations and that everyone's being brought in. The Spirit of God is poured out and is going out and saving um, all who would repent and believe, which Mm -hmm. is a, a great transition point then for us to Going to point three here. Yes. So the third and final question is our Christological culmination, uh, which is plain and simply, how does this book point us to Jesus? Yeah. Well, let me read uh, Joel 2, 27 and 32, and then Aaron's going to read where this is cited in the New Testament in Romans 10, and we're going to discuss how it explicitly brings us to the person and work of Christ. In Joel 2, verse 27, we read, You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. And that I am the Lord your God, and there is none else, and my people shall never again be put to shame. And then in verse 32, we are told, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. So Aaron, if you want to read Romans 9, or I'm sorry, Romans 10, verses 9 through 13, and then we can connect this together. I was going to read 13 through something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Romans 10, 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will 
be saved. Amen and amen. So Paul is bringing together Joel in an amazing way. Notice how Paul explicitly says, Jew and Greek, no distinction. Mm-hmm. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And I love how in Joel uh, verse 32 there in chapter 2, we're told, and the survivors are those whom the Lord calls. We see the sovereignty of God in salvation here. We see that, and the survivors are almost like remnant language here. It's, in fact, I think it's the same word that is translated remnant in other places. In other words, there will be judgment that not everyone who was in Israel was truly saved, as Paul says in Romans 9, but that there is always this remnant people. There's always people, not just from the Jews, but also from the Greeks. And there's going to be an elect people from both groups that are brought in, as mm-hmm. Paul explicitly brings out in Romans 9 and 10. So we see this coming forward in a very powerful way that all who call in the name of the Lord, and this is where it gets really amazing to connect it to Christ. We are told that all who call on the name of Yahweh shall be saved. Mm. And in Romans 10, Paul says, all who call on the name of the Lord. And who's the Lord? Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus Christ is Yahweh, the one and the same, the son who was perfect in the uh, in sharing in the same radiance and expression of the father's nature. He is the fulfillment of all these promises. He is himself God. And so Jesus, when he takes on flesh, dies on the cross, takes on the punishment of his people, that is how we escape the great and awesome wrath of God through Mm -hmm. Christ's work on the cross so that all people, whether Jew or Greek, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will experience being a survivor because the Lord is the one who will call them out of their sin. And I love how it says in verse 27 of Joel 2, and then also in Romans uh, 10, 9, that we will never be put to shame mm. because the Lord Jesus experienced shame and ridicule on the cross and he despised that shame and looked forward to the joy that was before him, which was an inheritance of the nations, all the people who he would die for being around the throne of God in Revelation 5, singing worthy, worthy is the lamb. Because Jesus endured that on the cross, we will experience no shame. We will Mm -hmm. experience no condemnation. We will experience zero judgment from God ultimately because Jesus drank the full wrath of God so that all who call on his name, all who trust in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ are saved from sin and are saved from God's righteous judgment. So we see then in connecting and showing the Christological culmination here that this text is all about Jesus Mm. because it's talking about future salvation, it's talking about returning to the Lord, and we know, according to Romans 10, very clearly you need to go against the Apostle Paul to try to say that somehow this isn't all about Jesus in Joel 2. Because he is absolutely convinced that it is. So we want to glory in that. The minor prophets are not speaking in a vacuum. They are speaking in a line of God's progressive revealed will. They are a part of the story that is then fulfilled and completed and accomplished, we would say, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He brings this story to its necessary end. Otherwise, this story never ends. Mm. But because Jesus came, the story ends. We have the full picture of God's redemptive purposes then uh, explained to us clearly through Paul in Romans 10 and other apostles like Peter picks up in Acts 2. So we see it's all about Jesus fulfilling this work. Amen and amen. So may this conversation uh, enhance not only your reading of all of Scripture, but specifically the book of Joel. Uh, and you can sit down and read it uh, in one sitting and hopefully make some of these same connections uh, as you read through it. But we hope that this has been an encouragement to you. And as always, we want to charge you to love God, know truth, and live accordingly.